You haven't really heard the Christmas message until you hear it in the voice of children. Thank you, Wesley Singers, and thank you, Nancy Ware. Did the clothes make the man? We've looked at Jesus in a long white robe and talked about the second advent. We've looked at Jesus in a seamless robe and have talked about his role as the great high priest. On the eve before his death, we see him wearing a towel. And John, as he is wont to do, gives us first the obvious lesson and then lets us prayerfully seek for the larger and the deeper message. He said at the beginning of that evening that he had loved his own and he would love them to the end. That's a powerful statement of its own, but I prefer that rendering which says he loved his own and now he will love them to the uttermost because the uttermost is beyond time, beyond eternity. Then having made that statement about his love for them, he then proceeded to show them the meaning and the essence of service. Isaiah had said about this one who was to come, he will be a suffering servant. He will literally pour out his soul unto death. To properly understand what Jesus is doing, one needs to remember that this scripture is really a preliminary to the discourses that follow. It is the holy place in John's gospel because you have to understand this to grasp all that follows. More than that, you need to recall that the other Gospels do not contain the story, but only John. So here we're getting a new insight into the character of Jesus, that which helps us complete the picture of who he was and what he did. The disciples would have understood instantly the meaning of the first lesson in the Scripture. They would have understood it because it was a rebuke, as it were, to their attitude and their behavior. Luke tells us that a strife had arisen among the disciples, a strife as to which of them was going to be accounted greatest in the kingdom. You recall they had gotten specific in the sense that one wanted to sit on the right hand of Jesus in his kingdom and one wanted to sit on his left when he came into his kingly authority. And so by the time they reached the upper room that night, there was no possibility that any of them would stoop to wash the feet of any of the rest of them. I mean, there was a water pot there, and it didn't matter that you bathed before you went to the festival. When you walked across those dirty, uneven, dusty roads, your feet would be dirty, especially just wearing sandals as they did in those days. And so when they passed by that water pot, they pretended they didn't see it. Now the rabbi's disciples always served them, but they wouldn't render that service. Because to wash someone's feet was the task reserved for the lowest servant in the entire household. 
It was a social insult to show another the bottom of your feet. And they wouldn't be caught dead washing the feet of those fellows around them. They were in the grips of that attitude we see today, uh, notably in pro sports. If you can't be the, the starter and play in the position you want to play in, then don't play. Or just loof, go on strike. Or if you can't sing a solo, don't sing at all. If you can't have it your way, exactly your way, then, then don't be a part of the team. Everyone felt that somehow he was more important, too important to engage in menial tasks. Jesus, therefore, stood, removed his outer garments, laid them aside, girded himself with a towel, took a basin of water, and began to wash the feet of his disciples. It is important to read the first verses and understand that at this time in his life, Jesus, perhaps more than at any other moment, was aware of his divine origin and of his destiny. He knew where he had come from. He knew where he was going. He knew he had come from that glorious kingdom. And he knew that he was going back to that glorious kingdom. He had divested himself of his divine majesty when he was born that night in Bethlehem. But now he was going to resume his glory and his kingly power. And at that moment, he set aside that majesty, took a towel and a bowl, and washed their dirty feet. And when he had finished his example of service, he said, Now you call me Master and Lord, and that's right, for I am your Master and, and your Lord. And if I do that for you, then you must serve each other in the same manner. The servant is not above his Master. Oh, what a dramatic lesson. Wouldn't it be wonderful if we could recapture something of its essence in the church today? I think about those cathedrals we visited last summer. I remember the, the, the beautiful marble work. The craftsmen, how gifted they were to have created it. I, I was especially moved by what they call houndstooth marble. I've, I've forgotten in what cathedral, you get them confused after a time, but in, in one of those cathedrals, that houndstooth marble had been mutilated. And the guide telling us about it said that someone had come there and had taken a hammer and knocked, broken some of that marble and, and tried to get away with it uh, in her pocketbook. And when they confronted this woman and said, how could you do this? How could you mutilate this work of art? She said triumphantly, I have a part of every cathedral I've ever visited. I possess it. I have a part of it. And I thought, you know, that's, that's our attitude. What can I get out of uh, that situation? What can I get out of that church? And of course we get something out of a church. Of course the church blesses us. But when does that blessing come? 
When do we really start to get something out of it? Only when we begin to lose ourselves in it. Only when we begin to offer ourselves do we then begin to receive something incredible to describe so that we can say, finally, when we face our Maker, I left a part of myself in every church of which I was ever a part. I left something of myself. Oh, if we could recapture the essence of Christian service as Jesus demonstrated it. Someone said recently, it isn't that people don't need Christ anymore. The need is greater than ever. And it isn't that we don't have the tools to serve Christ, for we have more tools than we've ever had before. What is needed, they say, is to recapture the, the consecration of our forebears, a consecration that made the work of Jesus Christ not a duty, a dull and dreary duty to be done, but instead a dear delight. That consecration, which remembers that to be consecrated is to have one's hand filled with whatever God has given you and to be offering that in service to Him through the life of His church and beyond. That's what it means to be a, a consecrated person. And we need to recapture that in our time. We don't have to think about some uh, service that's above and beyond us, something we could never do. I think about that man, Anthony Trollope, the marvelous uh, writer who, who had more than 50 novels to his credit. Anthony Trollope worked for the post office, that 19th century author there in England. And when at last he wrote his biography, uh, his autobiography, it, it was said by him that that he could never have done what he did except for his groom, a man who awakened him every morning with a cup of coffee and helped him get out of bed and get started into his day. He said, that man gave me two additional hours every day, and he was able to write more than 50 novels. I am not surprised that George Bernard Shaw put up a, a monument to the, to the humble people in his life, the, the woman who kept his house and cleaned it and cooked for him, and, and, and the other who, who kept his garden. He erected a monument, and he should. He said, I couldn't have written one play without these people. And the Church of Jesus Christ could not operate for a single day except for those faceless, nameless people who do the unnamed task. And don't kid yourself, that person is greatest who does the unnamed task, not the one who's in front, who gets all the credit, but the person who is behind, whose work is known only to him or her and to the God to whom they've dedicated it. Well, it was a noble example of service. But more than that, some scholars say it was a, a declaration about the entry of washing which is required to come into the community of faith. And they say, look back at the early part of John's gospel. He, he said, unless you're born of water and the Spirit, you can't enter the kingdom of heaven. Here John is making another reference to baptism, to the essential washing. Uh, baptism is the gate, as it were, that that leads us into the body of Christ, 
which is the church. How essential is it? Well, people have been saved without being baptized. The person on the, the thief on the cross who repented of his sins, Jesus said, today you will be with me in paradise. He wasn't baptized. But the early church uh, felt so strongly that if someone were saved, they would seek baptism, that they said about that thief, listen, uh, uh, that man's death constituted his baptism. If someone is martyred before they have a chance to be baptized, then their death constitutes their baptism. But it was impossible for those early Christians to think about someone alive and walking around and free who didn't seek baptism. Because to be in the church is to be in Christ. And to be, come into Christ and into his body, one must be baptized. And... Sure enough, there was Simon Peter who said, I don't understand. I don't, wash in, I don't want you washing my feet. And Jesus said, you don't understand it now, but you will understand afterward. You don't have to understand everything the Lord's going to do uh, to let him begin his work in your life. I still remember the woman whose little girl wanted to join our church. And she said she doesn't understand enough to join. And I remember moving away from that uh, church and, and watching the bulletin and seeing that little girl continue to attend for five years and then drop out. She's an adult now, and, and I don't know if she'll ever make her declaration. I don't know if she'll ever get Christian baptism. We don't understand, you say. Listen, the Apostle Paul said, Now... We understand partially. We see, as it were, in a mirror through baffling reflections. But then we will understand fully. You understand enough to know that you want to be part of Jesus, don't you? I mean, a friend of mine shared his testimony at a meeting last week. And he said one of the things that helped him decide for Christ was... He started looking at the track record of the opposition. In a minute, he looked at the track record of the opposition. He said, I want to be on the Lord's team. And, and so he came, and, and that was his starting point. What do you understand? Move on the understanding you've already been given, and the Lord will give you more understanding. Now, what's the deeper meaning? The deeper meaning is that this is an acted parable. When Jesus laid aside his garments, he was saying symbolically to his disciples, I lay down my life for you and for all who will believe in my name. Now the other gospels told about the body and the bread, the Lord's Supper. This is my body given for you. This is my blood poured out for you. But by, that, by the time John's gospel was written, that was already a part of every service. John gave us a new dimension. He, he added another story, which is a dramatic example of the death of Jesus Christ. He laid down his life. The same verb that describes laying down his garments is the verb that describes the laying down of the life of the good shepherd. And then not only did he tell us what he did, 
by dying for us, but he also showed us what that death accomplished. Namely, the washing away of all that is dirty and unholy. It is the essential washing through the acceptance of what he accomplished in his death, we open ourselves to that washing whereby we are made completely clean. Why do we hold back? I know people who are worn out from holding back. Part of it is pride, unredeemed pride that says, you're not going to wash my feet. Oh no, not mine. I don't need it. What would all those people think? Uh, part of it is pride, and part of it comes from what C.S. Lewis said. God is easy to please, but he's hard to satisfy. I mean, if you tell your mother you have a toothache, you just want to relieve the pain. Uh, C.S. Lewis says, I didn't want to tell mine because the next morning she'd take me to the dentist, and he'd monkey around with all the rest of my teeth. And that's the way it is with Jesus. Maybe you let him wash a foot or two, but he wants to wash us completely. He wants to make us completely clean. And so we hold back from making that commitment. What are you holding back? Our Christ can use those people, and only those people, who have submitted themselves to him for a cleansing, who have somehow surrendered that pride and said, Wash me, Lord, wash me, and make me completely clean. Let us pray. Oh, Lord, we thank you for the many ways that you've told us how much you care. Now help us, Lord, to surrender to that love that we might be made clean through Jesus Christ, who wore a towel for us and more than that, bore a cross. Amen. Now let those who wish to unite with our church please come forward as we sing our hymn of commitment. We'll sing the first, second, and last stanzas of It Came Upon the Midnight Clear. Let us stand as we sing.
Dr. Henson, I am pleased to introduce these persons who unite with our church today, Dan Moody, Mary Kalani, and Lawrence Martins. It's wonderful to have all of you here, and Kim Blassard has come to stand with Dan. They will shortly stand before this altar and be joined together in Christian marriage. The best thing you can do for your marriage, if you're already married or if you're thinking about it, is to give your lives to Jesus Christ. That's the best thing you can give each other at Christmas or any other time. And I'm going to ask all of you now if you will promise according to the grace given you to live a Christian life and to always follow Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord. And if you will, say, I will. Will you seek God's holy will for your life and his commandments? And will you walk in the same? And if you will, say, I will. And will you support the church with your prayers, your presence, give it your money, and your service? And if you will do that, say, I will. God bless you. We're pleased to welcome you into our church. Now may the one who by his incarnation gathered into one things of earth and of heaven fill you with a sweetness of inward peace and goodwill. And the blessing of God, the love of Christ, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit remain with you this day and always. Amen. Amen. 